0: Welcome to Memory and Top 40 Music, where we revisit the top of the pop charts through the eyes of history. I'm Spoken Joe Williams. July 20th, 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of the first time a human stepped foot on the surface of the moon. And in this episode of Memory and Top 40 Music, we're going back to July 20th, 1969, the day of that first moon landing. We'll tell the story of the day when the whole world was watching, as well as the events which brought us to that day. Shortly after the end of the Second World War, the United States and the Soviet Union became embroiled in what would be known as the Cold War. It was marked by geographical and political disagreements which went on for more than 50 years. It became a long struggle of capitalism versus communism. It was marked by a series of regional conflicts such as those in Korea and Vietnam, though there would not be open fighting between the world's two superpowers. However, even that nearly became a reality during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The impact of the Cold War was felt in countless ways around the world. It even extended beyond Earth and into space exploration both the u.s and the soviet union sought to demonstrate and exert dominance in space in the late 1940s the u.s department of defense researched rocketry and upper atmospheric sciences as a means of assuring american leadership in technology but most of us alive today cannot grasp how much of a shock it was to the americans when the soviets launched sputnik in october 1957 sputnik was the first man-made satellite to reach earth's orbit and it intensified the arms race beyond the shock sputnik was a blow to american confidence in technology and military capabilities one historian walter mcdougall wrote no event since pearl harbor set off such repercussions in public life The American response to Sputnik was comparable to the reaction McDougall remembered to the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor and the death of President Franklin Roosevelt. The Eisenhower administration used Sputnik as the basis for the principle of freedom of space, meaning outer space belonged to everyone, thereby allowing satellite flights over other countries. That meant spy satellites. You see, there were several reasons for interest in space military, intelligence gathering, and exploration. The Cold War added layers of depth, tension, and urgency to this. The next year, 1958, the U.S. launched Explorer 1 in January, and President Eisenhower in July signed the order creating NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, the federal agency dedicated to space exploration. And the space race was full on. Now, as for our countdown from July 20th, 1969, only one song dropped out of the top ten from last week. Ironically enough, that was Creedence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising, which had spent six weeks in the top ten, peaking at number two. That means we have one new song in the top ten this week, so
1: let's get to it. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. It's number ten.
0: Number ten on this week's countdown is Love Theme from Romeo and Juliet by Henry Mancini and his orchestra. From the music written for Franco Zeffirelli's film, Henry Mancini arranged this instrumental version. The love theme from Romeo and Juliet became the biggest-selling single of Henry Mancini's long career. And what a career it was! Mancini was nominated for 18 Academy Awards, winning four. He won 20 Grammy Awards, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and a Golden Globe. He was also nominated for two Emmy Awards. The song spent eight weeks in the top ten, including two in the number one position, out of a total of 12 weeks in the top 40. Love Theme from Romeo and Juliet was the only top 10 hit Mancini had. He came close two other times, with Moon River, getting to number 11 in 1961, and Love Story, topping out at number 13 in 1971. Working for Universal Pictures in the 1950s, Mancini contributed music to over 100 movies in just six years. The list of singers who recorded songs with Mancini's music reads like a who's who in the recording business. He recorded more than 90 albums himself, eight of those going gold. Mancini died in 1994. Kicking us off this week, at the number 10 position, Henry Mancini and his orchestra with the love theme from Romeo and Juliet, the song that would come in as the seventh most popular song for the entire year. I'm Spoken Joe, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music, where we relive our best memories through the greatest songs ever recorded. In this episode, we're looking at July 20th, 1969, the day Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Where were you that day? Remember to tune into this episode's companion playlist on Spotify. All of this week's top 10 songs are included, plus a nice list of extras. You're sure to enjoy it. The Soviets launched Luna 2 in 1959, the first space probe to hit the moon. The Americans were working Project Mercury to carry individual astronauts into space. In April 1961, the first person to orbit the Earth was Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin became a national hero for the Soviets so much so that Soviet Premier Khrushchev went to the airport to meet Gagarin and then rode with him in an open car to Moscow's Red Square. In May of 1961, Alan Shepard became the first American in space, riding his Mercury capsule on a 15-minute suborbital mission. That same month, President John Kennedy laid out a goal in a clear and unambiguous way, The U.S. would land a man on the moon before the end of the decade. To implement Kennedy's directive, NASA funneled significant resources into its Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo projects. Tens of thousands of NASA employees and contractors participated.
1: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Here's this week's number 9 on Jupiter and Mars.
0: At number 9 in this week's countdown is 19-year-old Stevie Wonder, up two notches this week with My Sharia Moore. This is the eighth top 10 hit of Stevie's career. Think about that. He's 19 and already has eight top 10 records. He'd add a ninth before the end of 1969. That would be Yester Me, Yester You, Yesterday. This is the fifth week in the top 40 for My Sharia Moore. It would go on to have an 11 week stay in the top 40, five of those in the top 10, peaking for two weeks at number four. Stevie Wonder co wrote My Sharia Moore along with Sylvia Moy and Henry Cosby. Moy and Cosby each had a hand in writing a couple of other Stevie Wonder hits Uptight, Everything's All Right and, I was made to love her. Stevie Wonder would go on to have nine number one singles on the pop charts, 19 on the R&B charts, and capture 22 Grammy Awards. Stevie Wonder and, My Cherie Amour, entering the top 10 this week at number nine. In August, 1961, Soviet cosmonaut German Titov performed a day-long orbital flight, In February 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth, doing so three times. And with its six flights, between 1958 and 1963, Project Mercury, which took its name from Roman mythology, proved America's capability to place piloted spacecraft into Earth orbit and bring those astronauts safely back home. The seven astronauts chosen to fly spacecraft for Project Mercury were collectively known as the Mercury Seven. The Mercury Seven were not just space pioneers, they were also celebrities. They became the subjects of Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff, also later a movie by the same name. Project Mercury laid the groundwork for Project Gemini, which was active from 1961 through 1966, and focused on the practice of space operations using spacecraft built for two astronauts. Gemini's objective was the development of space travel techniques to support the upcoming Apollo project to land astronauts on the moon. Most importantly, perhaps, was the rendezvous and docking of spacecraft and extravehicular activity. Three astronauts died in air crashes during training. There were two Gemini missions flown without crews, and a total of 10 Gemini flights with crews. After the Gemini 3 mission, mission control functions were shifted to a new control center at what is now known as the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And Ed White became the first American to conduct a spacewalk in June 1965. Mercury and Gemini set the stage for Project Apollo, which ran from 1961 until 1972. The name Apollo was bestowed by a NASA manager, Abe Silverstein, after the Greek god of light, music, and the sun. In 1966, there were three unmanned flights which tested the Apollo command and service module and or the Saturn launch vehicle.
1: Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. This is the song we sing at number 8 across the universe.
0: Holding steady at number 8 this week is The Ballad of John and Yoko by The Beatles. As you'd expect, this was a Lennon-McCartney tune, but it was actually written by John Lennon about his much-publicized and controversial romance with Yoko Ono. What was unusual was that only two Beatles performed on the song lennon and mccartney the two played all the instruments with john on lead and acoustic guitars plus percussion and paul on bass drums piano and maracas george harrison and ringo star were both away when the song was recorded on the evening of april 14 1969 and here it was its second week in the top 10 just two months later As with so many things surrounding Lenin and Ono, this song was not without controversy. In particular, there was the chorus which included Christ's name and the word crucify. Therefore, several radio stations refused to play the song, including two of the largest top 40 stations in the U.S., WLS in Chicago and WABC in New York. The song was released as a single, with the George Harrison composition Old Brown Shoe on the B-side. The Ballad of John and Yoko did not appear on an album until 1970's Hey Jude, which collected the Beatles' non-album singles and b-sides. The Ballad of John and Yoko was the first Beatles single to be released in stereo, and it was a worldwide hit. It reached number one in Australia, Austria, Belgium, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, West Germany, and the UK and it was the last of the Beatles' 17 number ones in the United Kingdom. The eighth spot was its peak position on the U.S. charts. It spent three weeks in the top ten, all at number eight, with this being the second of those three weeks. The song was in the top 40 for seven weeks. The Ballad of John and Yoko by The Beatles, this week at number eight. I'm Joe Williams, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music, and we're taking a walk through the top of the chart from the day of the Apollo 11 moon landing, July 20th, 1969. Where were you that day? It's time for our Memory Jogger feature, and in this installment of Memory Jogger, we'll remember a few key music figures who recently passed. James Ingram died on January 29, 2019. Among his eight top 40 hits were the number one songs Baby Come to Me, a duet with Patti Austin, and I Don't Have the Heart. Ingram won two Grammy Awards and twice won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Ingram first came to prominence in 1981 when he delivered the vocals on the monster hits Just Once and 100 Ways from Quincy Jones' album The Dude. James Ingram was 66. Peter Tork died on February 21, 2019. Tork is fondly remembered as a member of the Monkees, which started out as a TV sitcom and wound up as a very successful recording act. The Monkees TV show ran from 1966 to 1968, a total of 58 episodes. Tork was a multi-instrumentalist who contributed to the Monkees' strong track record of 12 top 40 hits, six of which went top ten, and three of those went to number one. Last Train to Clarksville, I'm a Believer, and Daydream Believer. Peter Torque was 77. Hal Blaine died on March 11, 2019. Blaine was a drummer who may have appeared on more songs than almost any other drummer in recording history. Blaine himself estimated he played on over 35,000 recordings, including 6,000 singles. He was a member of the famed Wrecking Crew Studio Group and is believed to have played on more than 140 top 10 hits, including somewhere around 40 number one songs, such as I Get Around, I Got You Babe, Mr. Tambourine Man, Cracklin' Rosie, Close to You, Indian Reservation, and Thank God I'm a Country Boy. Amazingly. Blaine played drums on the songs that took home the Grammy for Record of the Year each year from 1966 through 1971. That's six in a row. They were A Taste of Honey by Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra, Up, Up and Away by The Fifth Dimension, Simon and Garfunkel's Mrs. Robinson, Aquarius Let the Sun Shine In by The Fifth Dimension, and Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. Blaine was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000, and he received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018. Hal Blaine was 90 years old. David White died on March 16, 2019. White co-founded the doo-wop group Danny and the Juniors and wrote or co-wrote many of their hits, including Rock and Roll is Here to Stay and the number one song At the Hop. He also co-wrote You Don't Own Me, a number two hit in 1963 for Leslie Gore, and One Two Three, also a number two hit in 1965 for Len Barry. David White was 79 at the time of his death. Jim Glazer died on the 6th of April, 2019. Glazer, the brother of country singers Chuck and Tom Paul Glazer, was a singer and songwriter. He was the Academy of Country Music's best new male vocalist in 1984. He wrote the song Woman Woman, a number four hit for Gary Puckett and the Union Gap in 1967. Jim Glazer died at the age of 81. And since we ventured into country music, I'll also mention the death of Earl Thomas Conley on April 10, 2019. Conley racked up 18 Billboard number no. 1 country singles in the 1980s. The most number ones by any artist in any genre in the 80s other than Alabama and Ronnie Millsap. Songs such as Holding Her and Loving You, Nobody Falls Like a Fool, and Heavenly Bodies. Earl Thomas Connolly was 77. Les Reed died on April 15, 2019. Reed was a chart-topping songwriter. He co-wrote There's a Kind of Hush by Herman's Hermits. It's Not Unusual and Delilah by Tom Jones, and several hits for Engelbert Humperdinck, The Last Waltz, and Winter World of Love. Les Reed was 84. Boone Gould died on April 30, 2019. Gould was a member of the 1980s British band Level 42. They had two hit singles in the U.S., 1985's Something About You, a number 7 hit, and 1986's Lessons in Love, which reached number 12. Boone Gould was 64. J.R. Cobb died on May 4, 2019. Cobb was a guitarist and songwriter with the Classics 4 and the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Cobb co-wrote some of those band's biggest hits, including, for the Classics 4, 1968's Spooky, which reached number 3, and Stormy, which was a number 5 hit, and the 1969 number 2 hit, Traces. With the Atlanta Rhythm Section, Cobb co-wrote the top 20 hit Do It or Die. Other Classics 4 hits included Every Day with You Girl, and other hits by the Atlanta Rhythm Section included So Into You, I'm Not Gonna Let It Bother Me Tonight, and Imaginary Lover. J.R. Cobb was 75. Malcolm John Rebenack Jr., better known as Dr. John, died on the 6th of June, 2019. This singer-songwriter blended blues, pop, jazz, boogie-woogie, and rock and roll into his music. Dr. John only had one top 40 hit. That was 1973's Right Place, Wrong Time. I saw Dr. John when he was a member of Ringo Starr's very first all-star band in 1989. A six-time Grammy Award winner, Dr. John is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was 77. Jim Pike died on June 9, 2019. He was co-founder and the lead singer of The Lettermen. The Lettermen were a popular 1960s vocal trio with two top 10 singles. Among their hits were The Way You Look Tonight, When I Fall In Love, and the medley, Going Out Of My Head, Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. Jim Pike was 82. Dave Bartholomew died on June 23, 2019. Bartholomew, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, was a musician, band leader, and record producer who also wrote a slew of hit songs, including Ain't That a Shame, I Hear You Knocking, I'm Walking, and the Elvis Presley hit One Night. Dave Bartholomew was 100 years old. James, Harvey, Peter, Hal, David, Jim, Earl Thomas, Les, Boone, jr dr john jim and dave thanks for the music and the memories now back to our countdown
1: when the moon is in the seventh house and jupiter aligns with mars then peace will guide the planets And love will steer the stars. This is the song coming in at number seven, number seven.
0: Jumping up two places this week to number seven is Color Him Father by The Winstons. The Winstons were a six-man Washington, D.C.-based funk and soul music group. Written by band member Richard Lewis Spencer. Color Him Father tells the story of a boy talking about the love he has for his stepfather, who married his mom after his dad had been killed in the war. Color Him Father had a 10-week Top 40 run. it spent three weeks in the Top 10, getting as high as number 7. The Flipside, an instrumental called Amen Brother, has one of the most heavily sampled drum breaks in the history of electronic music. The break is known as the Amen Break. We've included Amen Brother on our companion playlist for this episode of Memory in Top 40 Music. Color Him Father sold over a million copies. It's a certified gold record, and it won the Grammy Award for the Best R&B Song in 1969. The closest the Winstons came to reaching the Top 40 again was with Love of the Common People, which topped out at number 54. Color Him Father by the Winstons, coming in this week at number 7. The first Apollo mission with a crew, Apollo 1, was to have flown on February 21, 1967. However, the Apollo project endured a terrible tragedy when on January 27, 1967, astronauts Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee were killed in a cabin fire during a pre-launch test. Manned Apollo flights were suspended for 20 months while the command module's hazards were addressed. However. The development and unmanned testing of the Lunar Module and Saturn V Moon Rocket continued. In fact, the next three Apollo missions, Apollo's 4, 5 and 6, all without a crew, launched between November 1967 and April 1968, tested Saturn rockets and various Command Module and Lunar Module systems. Apollo 7 became the first Apollo crewed flight in October 1968, Wally Schirra, Don Isley, and Walter Cunningham were the first Americans in space since Jim Lovell and Buzz Aldrin aboard Gemini 12 in November 1966. Apollo 7 was the first three-person American space mission, and the first to include a live TV broadcast from an American spacecraft. Apollo 7 flew in Earth orbit. Two months later, in December 1968, Apollo 8 was the first crewed flight to the moon making ten lunar orbits. It took three days for Apollo 8 to reach the moon, and, during a Christmas Eve television broadcast, the crew read the first ten verses from the Book of Genesis. This broadcast was, at the time, the most watched TV program ever. The crew, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Anders, were named Time Magazine's Men of the Year for 1968. Apollo 9 in March 1969 tested the Lunar Module as a self-sufficient spacecraft. The Lunar Module was the craft which would take two astronauts from the Command Module to the Moon's surface, support them when on the Moon, and bring them back again to the Command Module which would be orbiting the Moon awaiting their return. Apollo 9 included rendezvous and docking maneuvers as part of its 10-day mission, with crew members James McDivitt and Russell Schweikert in the Lunar Module with David Scott remaining aboard the command module. Two months later, in May of 69, the Apollo 10 mission was the dress rehearsal for the upcoming first lunar landing. Apollo 10 orbited the moon 31 times and the flight included all aspects of a lunar landing except for the landing itself. Astronauts Tom Stafford and Gene Cernan were in the lunar module for its undocking and lunar orbiting as well as moon landing simulation, While his crewmates were together in the lunar module, John Young was the first person to fly solo around the moon. Next up, Apollo 11 and Moon Landing. At number six this week is the first top 10 single for the group that would be one of the most successful recording acts of the 1970s. It's Three Dog Night and One. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. Danny Hutton, Corey Wells, and Chuck Negron were the vocalists and founding members of Three Dog Night. They started up in 1967 and would go on to score 21 consecutive top 40 hits. Of those, Mama Told Me Not to Come, Joy to the World, and Black and White would all hit number one. Those three number ones were each sung by one of the group's three different lead singers. In addition to the song one and those three number ones, the other top ten songs from Three Dog Night were Easy To Be Hard, Eli's Coming, Liar, An Old Fashioned Love Song, Never Been To Spain, Shambhala, and The Show Must Go On. In December 1972, Three Dog Night hosted Dick Clark's first New Year's Eve special, called Three Dog Nights, New Year's Rockin' Eve. One was written by Harry Nielsen. It spent seven weeks in the top 10 and a total of 12 weeks in the 40. One peaked at number five, where it spent three weeks. Number six this week is One, the first top 10 hit for Three Dog Night. In addition to the memories these great songs bring back and the Apollo 11 mission, which captured the world's attention, Let's see what else was going on in the world in July 1969. Richard Nixon was President of the United States, having been inaugurated just six months prior. A car driven by Senator Ted Kennedy crashed into the waters off Chappaquiddick Island, killing Mary Jo Kopechny. The first parade of Vietnam War veterans took place in Seattle to a mix of cheers and boos. The American space probe Mariner 6 made its closest approach to Mars. England's 21-year-old Prince Charles was formally bestowed with the title Prince of Wales. American cigarette manufacturers agreed to stop advertising on radio and television after September 1970. John Lennon and Yoko Ono were admitted to the hospital after a car crash. Three days later, Give Peace a Chance by the Plastic Ono Band was released. The song, Space Oddity, by David Bowie, was released to coincide with the anticipated launch of Apollo 11. One month before the Woodstock Festival was to take place, the zoning board of the town of Wallkill, New York, banned the use of land that the organizers had leased and planned to use for the concert. The concert would take place instead at a farm near Bethel, New York, 40 miles away. Notable births in July 1969 included J.Lo, Jennifer Lopez. Notable deaths in July 1969 included guitarist Brian Jones, who had quit the Rolling Stones just a month earlier. Director and three-time Academy Award winner Leo McCary. Ben Alexander, Jack Webb's co-star on the original Dragnet program. And Gary Hinman a music teacher who was the first victim of Charles Manson and his followers. I'm Spoken Joe. Now, back to our countdown. The biggest mover in the top ten is the song at number five this week, all the way up from number ten. It's Junior Walker and the All-Stars with What Does It Take to Win Your Love. Junior Walker was a singer and saxophone player. Junior Walker and the All-Stars had their first hit in 1965 with Shotgun, produced by Barry Gordy on the Motown label. Shotgun was a number four pop hit and went all the way to number one on the R&B chart. The band hit the top 40 seven more times, but did not make it back into the top 10 until What Does It Take in 1969. And that would be their last top 10 pop hit, though they had several more top 10s on the R&B chart. Over their career, Junior Walker and the All-Stars had 12 top 40 hits. By the end of 1972, the hits stopped coming, and by the end of the decade, Junior Walker went solo. In the 80s, Junior Walker was a musical guest on Saturday Night Live and played the oft-heard sax solo on Urgent, the big hit by Foreigner. Junior Walker died in 1995. What Does It Take had an 11-week stint in the top 40, Six of those were in the top ten. This week is the first of three the song would hold down the number five slot, before inching up to number four for a week in August. Climbing five places in the countdown from last week, the number five song is What Does It Take to Win Your Love by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. The Apollo 11 crew was comprised of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. This was only the second mission where the entire American crew had previous spaceflight experience, and it would be the last time that would happen until 1988, when the five crew members of STS-26 on the space shuttle Discovery were all spaceflight veterans in what was the Return to Flight mission following the 1986 space shuttle Challenger disaster. The Apollo 11 mission emblem featured the bald eagle holding an olive branch in its talon, the crew members decided to omit their own names from the mission patch in order for the patch to represent everyone who had worked toward a lunar landing. Fittingly, the lunar module for Apollo 11 was named Eagle. Apollo 11 launched from Kennedy Space Center in Florida at 9.32 a.m. on Wednesday, July 16, 1969. An estimated 1 million people packed the surrounding beaches and highways to get a glimpse of the Saturn V rocket carrying the first humans to the moon. Among those present for the launch were Vice President Spiro Agnew and former President Lyndon Johnson. More than 3,000 members of the worldwide media were on hand to cover the event. President Richard Nixon watched the launch on TV from the White House with Apollo 8 astronaut Frank Borman. Three days later, On July 19th, after a flight of 240,000 miles over 76 hours, Apollo 11 entered into orbit around the moon. The next day, Sunday, July 20th, Armstrong and Aldrin entered the lunar module, Eagle, at 1.46 p.m. Eastern Time. Near the end of Apollo 11's 12th lunar orbit, Eagle separated from the spacecraft piloted by Collins, referred to as Columbia, to make the historic descent to the lunar surface. Following some last-minute maneuvers to ensure the lunar module did not land in a crater, the astronauts touched down on the surface of the moon at 4.17 p.m. on the southwestern edge of the Sea of Tranquility, with no more than 50 seconds of propellant remaining. And with that, we heard the first of two now-famous radio transmissions from Neil Armstrong. Houston, Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. Where were you when the first humans landed on the moon? I know exactly where I was. I was in Yankee Stadium. It was bat day at Yankee Stadium and the Yankees game against the Washington Senators was briefly halted for a moment of silence with the announcement that the moon landing had been a success. Deciding to forego the planned five-hour sleep period, Armstrong and Aldrin immediately began to prepare for their walk on the moon. With preparations complete, The hatch of the lunar module was opened. First through the hatch was Neil Armstrong. While still on the ladder, Armstrong unveiled a plaque on the descent stage of the lunar module, which showed drawings of Earth, the signatures of President Nixon and the Apollo 11 crew, plus an inscription which read, Here, men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 A.D. We came in peace for all mankind. Then at 10:56 p.m., with the images being captured by a television camera mounted in the now deployed modular equipment stowage assembly on the side of the lunar module, Neil Armstrong hopped down three and a half feet from the ladder and onto the powdery surface of the moon. We then heard Armstrong's second famous remark that day: "That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind." Afterwards. Armstrong said the transmission had been slightly garbled and that he actually said, that's one small step for a man. 19 minutes later, Buzz Aldrin also exited the lunar module, joining Armstrong on the lunar surface. The broadcast of the first walk on the moon, transmitted in simple black and white, was seen by more than 600 million people around the world. During their walk, the astronauts planted a flag of the United States Collected 47.5 pounds of lunar samples, deployed scientific experiments, took pictures, and fielded a phone call from President Nixon. Armstrong and Aldrin also left behind a bag of memorial items, which Aldrin carried in his sleeve pocket. The contents of the bag included a golden replica of an olive branch, a symbol of peace, two medals awarded to Russian cosmonauts Yuri Gagarin and Vladimir Komarov, and an Apollo 1 mission patch in memory of astronauts Roger Chaffee, Gus Grissom, and Edward White, who died in the Command Module fire. About two hours and fifteen minutes after Armstrong first stepped on the moon, both he and Aldrin were back in the Eagle with the hatch closed. They slept on the moon that night, though not very well. The lunar module had no beds, no seats, was too noisy, and let in too much light. Armstrong tried sleeping on the engine cover while Aldrin was curled up on the floor. At 1.54 p.m. on Monday, July 21st, about 21 hours after lunar touchdown, the Eagle lifted off from the moon on its way to rendezvous Armstrong and Aldrin with Michael Collins, who had been flying solo around the moon in Columbia since the afternoon before. At 5.35 p.m. that Monday, the Eagle docked with Columbia reuniting the trio of astronauts. With that, the crew headed for home. Three days later, on July 24th, Apollo 11 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean. The recovery ship was the USS Hornet, an aircraft carrier. Using helicopters and a life raft, the returning astronauts were brought aboard the Hornet where they entered the mobile quarantine facility to begin 21 days of quarantine. Aboard the USS Hornet to welcome the astronauts were President Nixon, Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Command, Admiral John McCain, Jr., and NASA Administrator, Thomas Paine. The crew of Apollo 11 were celebrated the world over. There were ticker tape parades in New York and Chicago and an official state dinner with presentation of the Presidential Medals of Freedom. Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins spoke before a joint session of Congress And embarked on a world tour, which brought them to 22 countries.
1: You're a shining star, no matter who you are. Shining bright and more, this week's number four, this week's number four.
0: Jumping up two spots this week to number four is Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells. In late 1968, Tommy James and the Shondells released Crimson and Clover, which marked a major change as they moved away from a pop sound to dip their toes in the waters of psychedelic rock. They followed that up with Sweet Cherry Wine and Crystal Blue Persuasion, both of which were inspired by religion. As per interviews done with Tommy James and his manager, the inspiration for Crystal Blue Persuasion was biblical. They came from Tommy James reading the Book of Ezekiel and the Book of Isaiah and Book of Revelation, which tell of a brotherhood of mankind, living in peace and harmony. Ironically, a lot of people thought at the time, Crystal Blue Persuasion was a song about drug use, foretelling perhaps Tommy James' own struggles with drugs. Crystal Blue Persuasion was the 12th top 40 hit for Tommy James and the Shondells, and their third top 10 hit in a row. It debuted in the top 40 all the way up at number 18, the next week, it leapt into the top ten, where it stayed for nine weeks. Three of those at number two, and at the end of the year, Billboard ranked "Crystal Blue Persuasion" as the sixth most popular song of 1969. Following "Hanky Panky," I think we're alone now. "Moni Moni," "Crimson and Clover," and "Sweet Cherry Wine." "Crystal Blue Persuasion" was the sixth and last top ten hit for Tommy James and the Shondells in 1972. Tommy James would hit the top ten one more time, this time as a solo act with "Dragon the Line. Tommy James and the Shondells with a fourth biggest hit in America on July 20th, 1969, Crystal Blue Persuasion. Let's take a look at what else was happening on the charts this week. There were 12 songs making their debut in the Hot 100. Among them were I'm Free by The Who and Honky Tonk Women by The Rolling Stones. The highest debuting song could be found at number 70, Workin' on a Groovy Thing by The Fifth Dimension. The biggest jump in the Hot 100 was Laughing by The Guess Who, which pitched forward 21 places up to number 62. There were four songs making their top 40 debut. They included Abraham, Martin, and John by Moms Mabley at number 35, and another version of Abraham, Martin, and John This one by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles at number 33. Smokey and Company debuted two songs in the top 40 this week. They also had Doggone Right at number 37. As for those two versions of Abraham, Martin, and John, they each lasted two weeks in the top 40. You may be wondering about Moms Mabley. She was a jagged-edge comedian billed as the funniest woman in the world. Moms was frequently seen on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour and sometimes sang as part of her act. But she handled the melancholy lyrics of Abraham, Martin, and John in a serious manner. With this song, Moms Mabley became the oldest living person ever to have a Top 40 hit. She was 75 at the time. I couldn't locate Moms Mabley's version of the song on Spotify, so it is not included on our companion playlist for this episode of Memory and Top 40 Music. Three acts have two songs apiece in this week's Top 40 we talked about the two by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Joining them were James Brown, who had The Popcorn at number 30 and Mother Popcorn at number 12. And The Beatles, with Get Back at number 16 and The Ballad of John and Yoko at number 8.
1: Good morning, starshine. We'll watch what you'll be. My love and me as we sing. This week's number three.
0: We find one of at least four songs from the Broadway musical Hair to hit the top 40 in the number three position this week. And I hope you took note of our little jingle announcing the number three spot in the countdown. Its selection was no coincidence, because number three this week is Good Morning Starshine by Oliver. This was the first of three top 40 hit records released by Oliver who was born William Oliver Swafford. He followed it up with Gene, from the movie The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Gene made its top 40 debut at the end of August and would become a number two hit. His third and final hit would be with Sunday Morning, which reached number 35. Oliver and his brothers were multi-sport high school athletes in North Carolina, with his two brothers both playing college football. One brother, John Swafford, has been the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference since 1997. Oliver died in February 2000 of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Good Morning, Starshine was a pleasant tune that you couldn't help but try to sing along with. Why do I say try? Here's a sample of the lyrics. Glibby gloop gloopy, nibby nabby noopy, la 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 lo lo. Saba sibi saba, noobby abba naba le lo lo. To be ubiwala, newbie abanaba, early morning Singin' song, but it caught on. It debuted in the top 40 at number 30, went to number 15, and the next week began a six-week stint in the top 10. This week is its second of two weeks at its number three peak position. The song appeared on Oliver's debut album, entitled, appropriately enough, Good Morning Starshine. At number three this week, it's Oliver and Good Morning Starshine. Let's get back to our story of Apollo 11. What if the Apollo 11 mission met with tragedy, or what if problems left Armstrong and Aldrin stranded on the moon? Plans had been established to inform the astronauts' wives, a speech had been prepared for President Nixon to deliver to the nation, and a clergyman would commend the souls of the astronauts to the deep, similar to how the Navy conducts burials at sea. Here are excerpts from the speech prepared for President Nixon, which he, thankfully, never had to deliver. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. Others will follow and surely find their way home, Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. While it may have seemed that everyone, especially in America, was celebrating the moon landing, not everyone was. Some complained the money for the moon program should have been spent taking care of the poor on Earth. Some felt the space race further reflected a racial divide in the country. And, of course, the entire Apollo program was undertaken during the era of the war in Vietnam. Six Apollo moon missions followed Apollo 11, with five of those resulting in moon landings. The lone exception was Apollo 13, whose lunar landing was aborted after an oxygen tank exploded in flight only nine minutes after the completion of a live television broadcast. The crew used the lunar module as its lifeboat in order to return safely back to Earth. The final Apollo mission was in December 1972. In all, a dozen astronauts walked on the moon during six Apollo lunar landing missions. In 2011, on the 50th anniversary of President Kennedy's challenge to reach the moon, Armstrong, Aldrin, Collins, and John Glenn were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. And nine Mercury-Gemini-Apollo-era astronauts have been awarded the Congressional Space Medal of Honor. Humans have not returned to the Moon since Apollo 17, though NASA is working on its planned return to the Moon, with astronauts slated to land on the lunar south pole by 2024. But in 2009, NASA launched the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. LRO is a robotic mission whose original goal was to map the moon's surface as it had never been done before. Among the many images taken by LRO were the Apollo landing sites, including the Apollo 11 lunar module, and the very footpaths left by the astronauts, still undisturbed years later. We started off talking about a space race between the US and the Soviets, so what happened to the Soviets? Well, while the Soviet Union had the early advantage, it suffered repeated failures with its own version of a super-heavy launch vehicle. Still, the Soviets tried to beat the US in bringing lunar material back to Earth through the use of uncrewed or robotic flights. On July 13th, 1969, three days before the launch of Apollo 11, the Soviets launched Luna 15, which reached lunar orbit before Apollo 11, Remaining in lunar orbit for two days as Soviet ground controllers checked onboard systems and performed two orbit maneuvers. On July 21st, with Americans Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin already there, Luna 15 began its descent to land on the moon. However, during its descent, Luna 15 crashed into the moon just hours before Armstrong and Aldrin took off from the moon's surface in their lunar module. Interestingly, There was an element of cooperation with these two lunar missions operating at the same time, as the Soviets released Lunar 15's flight plan to ensure it would not collide with Apollo 11. Cooperation grew in subsequent years. In 1975, NASA and the Soviet Union worked together to achieve the first international human spaceflight, the Apollo-Soyuz test project. The U.S. sent three astronauts into space aboard an Apollo spacecraft that docked in orbit with a Soviet-made Soyuz vehicle on July 17, 1975. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. and Russia began routinely cooperating in space. Americans began visiting the Russian Mir space station, and the U.S., Russia, and other international partners came together to build the International Space Station, which has been continuously inhabited since November 2, 2000. This week's number two song is by a band made up of Canadian and American musicians, and they were identified by their big brass sound. It's Blood, Sweat, and Tears with their smash hit, Spinning Wheel. Blood, Sweat, and Tears was formed in New York in 1967 with a sound referred to as jazz rock. After their first album, the band was searching for a new lead singer, and, at the suggestion of folk singer Judy Collins, the job was offered to David Clayton Thomas. The vocals of Clayton Thomas were featured on the band's self-titled second album, and the album won the Grammy for Album of the Year, in competition against the Beatles' Abbey Road. And three big hit singles were released, You've Made Me So Very Happy, And When I Die, and Spinning Wheel. Each of these songs was a number two hit. The group's popularity was soaring as Blood, Sweat & Tears played on the third day at Woodstock, just ahead of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Their third album, Blood, Sweat & Tears 3, in 1970, also went to number one and produced two more hit singles, Heidi Ho, written by Carol King, and Lucretia McEvil. In early 1972, Clayton Thomas departed the group. He returned for a new album in 1975 called New City, which featured a cover of the Beatles' Got to Get You Into My Life. The group continued to record and perform for years after, with significant lineup changes, In fact, their website notes 175 musicians have flowed through the ranks of the various iterations of Blood, Sweat, and Tears, including American Idol Season 4 runner-up Bo Bice, who was the band's lead singer for about five years. As for Spinning Wheel, it was written by David Clayton Thomas. Spinning Wheel lasted 12 weeks in the top 40, seven of those in the top 10. This is the last of three weeks it spent at number 2. It was a number one hit on the Easy Listening chart and also appeared on the R&B chart. Spinning Wheel received three Grammy nominations, including for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. At number two, it's Blood, Sweat and Tears and Spinning Wheel. We're going to squeeze in a second memory jogger here. Have you ever heard of Mickey Cap? Cap died June 11, 2019 at his home in Carmel, California. So why are we talking about Mickey Cap? Well, in this episode of Memory and Top 40 Music, in which we count down the top songs from July 20th, 1969, and tell the story of the first moon landing, it only makes sense that we also talk about Mickey Capp, because he was the guy who made mixtapes for astronauts to take into space so they could listen to their favorite songs. Capp's father started a record label called Cap Records in 1954, and young Mickey went to work there. Ultimately, he took over as president of the family label. In that role, he produced the big 1964 hit by Louis Armstrong, Hello, Dolly. Now, Cap figured the astronauts might benefit from some enjoyment in the midst of their hectic training schedules, so he used his connections in the music business to create little cassette tapes with the astronauts' favorite music. It turns out, NASA inadvertently aided Cap's efforts. Starting with Apollo 7, NASA gave each astronaut a compact tape recorder as a convenient way to log mission notes verbally, instead of writing them down. Cap would ask each astronaut what their favorite song was, and, from that, he'd develop a list of about 30 contemporary songs and record them to a cassette. So the astronauts would listen to Cap's tapes on their way into space and record over them when they got down to business. For Apollo 11, among the songs on Buzz Aldrin's tape were Glenn Campbell's Galveston, Barbara Streisand's People, Lou Rawl's Three O'Clock in the Morning, Betty Swan's Angel in the Morning, John Stewart's Mother Country, and Peggy Lee's versions of both Sly Stone's Everyday People and Blood, Sweat & Tears' Spinning Wheel, while Neil Armstrong asked for a 1947 album by band leader Les Baxter, Music Out of the Moon which included songs like Mist of the Moon and Moon Moods. On Apollo 12, Alan Bean and Pete Conrad went with songs like Sugar Sugar by the Archies and Son of a Preacher Man by Dusty Springfield. By the way, we've included a bunch of these Apollo astronaut favorites on our companion playlist for this episode of Memory in Top 40 Music. Cap was presented with a Silver Snoopy Award, The Silver Snoopy is the Astronaut's Own Award for outstanding performance contributing to flight safety and mission success. Mickey Cap, thank you for your use of music as a contribution to spaceflight. Before we get to the song which held on to the number one position for a second week, let's do a quick review. The song at number 10 is Love Theme from Romeo and Juliet by Henry Mancini and his orchestra. Number 9 is My Sharia Moore by Stevie Wonder. At number 8, The Ballad of John and Yoko by The Beatles. The Winstons have the number 7 song, Color Him Father. At number 6, Three Dog Night and One. Junior Walker and the All-Stars are at number 5 with What Does It Take? Number 4 is Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells. Good Morning Starshine by Oliver is at number 3. Number two, Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And the number one song on July 20th, 1969, for the second week in a row, is Zager and Evans with In the Year 2525. In the Year 2525 is a song that takes a sad look into the future after technology has taken over the world. It tells its story in 1,010 year intervals. Evans and Zager were Nebraska natives who played together in the band The Eccentrics. The two got back together to form the Evans and Zager duo in 1968 and recorded the song in the year 2525, which had been written in 1964 but never recorded. It was initially released on Truth Records and started getting extensive airplay locally in Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska. RCA Records got interested, signed Zager and Evans, and released the song nationally. In the year 2525 made its top 40 debut on June 28, 1969, at number 35 on the countdown. The next week, it rocketed up into the top 10 at number 8. The next week, it dethroned Henry Mancini's love theme from Romeo and Juliet as the number one song, and that's where it stayed for six weeks. Of the dozen weeks it spent in the top 40, nine of those were in the top 10. In the Year 2525 was a worldwide hit for Zager and Evans, topping the charts not only in the U.S., but also in Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and the U.K., and it finished the year as the 12th most popular song on Billboard's year-end listing. The only other song by Zager and Evans that ever charted was Mr. Turnkey, later in 1969. It halted its rise at number 106. Evans later started up his own record label and released a solo album. He passed away in 2018. Zager runs Zager Guitars back in Nebraska, where he builds custom guitars. The number one song on July 20th, 1969, the day astronauts first stepped foot on the moon is In the Year 2525 by Zager and Evans, perhaps the biggest selling one-hit wonder in music history. And those were the top ten songs on July 20th, 1969, the day of the Apollo 11 moon landing. I hope you enjoyed our countdown and our telling of the story of the first moon landing. What did you hear in this episode that brought back a memory? Please share it. Send a note to memory at spokenjoe.com. Episodes of Memory and Top 40 Music are available on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and just about anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating and some feedback, and please subscribe. And don't forget to listen to this episode's companion playlist on Spotify. All you need is the free Spotify account. We've included all the songs from this week's countdown, as well as many extras. Once on Spotify, search for Memory and Top 40 so you can enjoy this and all of our companion playlists. Thanks for listening to Memory and Top 40 Music. I'm Spoken Joe.